the last time they were in a new town, they got kicked out within 24 hours. I'd spent uh, weeks well. building that place. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, look at all of the helpful and interesting things you missed out on. Great. Now on to the next one, I suppose. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from my recent conversation with Polished Cryptid. She's a Twitch streamer with two different shows, as well as the host of an open game night on Sundays where she plays multiple different TTRPGs. Today, we talk about adventuring in a multidimensional world, giving the players the power to create new NPCs, cities, and plot hooks in your game, mushroom burgers, and so much more. If you want more of Polished after this episode, or just want to support the podcast, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus mini-episodes every single week with additional conversations with guests like today's episode with Polished Cryptid. That's four additional episodes a month for $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today and want more, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. And as I said in the intro today, we are joined by Polished Cryptid. Polished, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Well, I suppose it's morning where you are, correct? It is. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's evening over here. So you're in Australia, correct? Yes, East Coast Australia. Oh, amazing. Um, So... uh, there's a whole litany of things that I kind of want to touch on as we go things through this, but for the uninitiated, could you please uh, give us a little bit of a description of who Polished Cryptid is and what you're into? So, well, um, gosh, I almost launched into my own stream intro. Um, but yeah, I made this stream <laughs> yeah. on Twitch where we do uh, actual place and tavern talks, which is essentially a streamed podcast where we just sit around and talk about all things uh, TTRPG related. Um, so yeah, we do three shows a week normally, two of them D&D, and then we have Sundays that are at the moment dedicated to various uh, indie games. So a bit of variety there. And yeah. Oh, okay. So you're doing uh, your two streams for D&D a week. Are those both actual plays or is it like one actual play, then one podcast, then one as kind of the open gaming session? So uh, both of those are actual plays. And then um, the talk show is more like when there's a gap in a schedule or, you know, I feel like, oh, no, I really want to talk about this. I'm going to rope someone else in and we're going to do a bit of a show on that. So that was more sporadic. Are the two actual plays different uh, games, uh, different groups, or is it the same group twice a week? They are very different. Uh, on Tuesday evenings Australian time, we have a game GM'd by yours truly. Um, it's entirely homebrew, so, um, you know, its own world and all of that. And it is super chaotic in the best sense possible. Uh, and with an almost completely different cast, as minor overlap. On Friday evenings, we're currently doing a Curse of Strahd sequel. Um, So it's based on the idea that Strahd has had a long time now just beating these adventurers who show up in Ravenloft and has grown stronger to the point of ridiculousness. So I think we're currently level 18 in that one. Wow. Yeah. That's, That's pretty intense. So, And you're a player in that game? Yes. Nice. Uh, I can't say that I've ever played quite that high of a level. Oh, it's um, so much fun. I absolutely love it. That's a, I also haven't GM'd at that high of a level because that's a, that's a oh, lot neither of power curve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm frankly kind of horrified at the number. Like you think players can come up with some wily mm-hmm. things at like three and six. Mm-hmm. Just wait until they have you know, ninth level spells. <laughs> We just got access to ninth level spells, so I'm so excited. Um, oh. And thankfully, our GM is very good at accepting our creative solutions to things. Um, so yeah, that's always appreciated as a player. So, what kind of what kind of player are you in that game? Um, what kind of player am I in that game? Or um, are you a character backstory? Anything that you wanna you wanna give to? To throw some, so some I uh, play one of my longest running characters. I'm given that she's level 18. That's probably to be expected. Uh, but I play a 
draconic sorcerer who dabbles in wizardry. Um, she kind of ended up breaking the multiverse before this game even began, and the fates have just been sort of throwing her between different realities as punishment. That's what happens when, in the original campaign, you introduce a deck of many things. Uh, oh lord! So, yeah. <laughs> so this campaign is kind of a sequel to the abrupt no, end a of a previous different one. I was like, I've got, I've got this, uh, you know, character who is floating around right now, and if the Rad campaign shows up, I'll bring her back um but yeah she's a tiefling who has been through a lot at this point she's got a weird sort of business relationship with lolt but doesn't worship her it's okay. uh, yeah uh, it's so often you have a goddess on speed dial um <laughs> yeah and so th- it's just a wonderful group of people um i just there's not a single episode when I haven't absolutely just fallen over laughing at some of the unexpected solutions people come up with. I think that that's probably one of my favorite things about just D&D in general mm. is that, yeah, you you can have a shopping episode and maybe there's, you know, a few quips or some witty jokes or something, but the the real like counterbalance to that is when you have those moments where mm. you didn't even realize what you could do. The DM certainly didn't. The audience is blown away. And everybody at the table just has that kind of shock and awe moment mm-hmm. where something incredible, it would be it a, just a dice roll for a harebrained scheme that nobody thought should work mm. or a really well-planned out thing that didn't need a lot of dice rolls to work, but just happened to be the right thing and i think those moments are really they're kind of what i play and live for <laughs> mm. absolutely we've just had uh, some pivotal uh plot moments happening that were utterly mind-blowing but we also and this is probably something i should have mentioned in terms of what we do differently on the channel um if the gm can't make it for a session we still play oh really uh-huh. Yeah, so we have downtime ep- downtime episodes. We've had dream episodes where the GM has been involved in the planning, so that because um, it's always hard on the GM. Like if they can't show up, the session is normally cancelled. Right. And we wanted to find a way to work around that, especially since a lot of our players and GMs have chronic health issues or, um, well, things that sometimes affect scheduling. So mm-hmm. we have plenty of just being there. adults is enough yeah. of a chronic illness. Oh God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, I've got this T-shirt made by a friend of mine, and it says, "Finally became an adult, and all I got was misery." Yes, and yeah, pretty yeah, much. <laughs> I wish that quote wasn't as accurate as it is. <laughs> For sure. So I think that's. I would love to hear a little bit more about how. Of course, I'm sure it depends on the scenario. Like, mm. if you are right outside of combat or right before combat, I could see that maybe that's more of kind of a dream sequence, or maybe you go back in time a little bit. But I think that, man, it, it, from somebody who's been mostly a, a GM, he having a player that's just willing to like provide a backstory and or look up their own spells is one thing then the kind of the next layer of that is like they want to role play, Mm. but to go so far as to carry the story without you is uh, it's almost scary because now it's like, Oh no, they don't need me. But (laughs) I think that that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that that's kind of the epitome of the cooperative storytelling experiences. Everybody is now on that same page. Yeah. And it's also a chance to, it's almost like deleted scenes. It's they don't always <laughs> make it into the main show, but right, you know, if you're there for some extra content, that could be fantastic. And we've done things like, um, you know, our characters are playing drinking games at a tavern, or some liars dice, or you're spending that downtime episode shopping, or we had a follower goal, and if we hit that, which we have, uh, one thing we're going to do is a beach episode. Yes, in Curse of Strahd. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Got so, beach party. Oh, absolutely. That's what you do with a magical mansion, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's 
if you can have a magical mansion, why not have a magical beach house? Mm, I mean, right? I, I can't Maybe see why that's not. A, instead of having an indoor pool, just put a beach in the basement of your uh, magnificent mansion. It's an extra dimensional space. You yeah, can decorate exactly. it how you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs walls anyway? Mm. It just fades off into a horizon. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... um. We've done quite a few gemless episodes, no matter which show it is. Yeah. And um, sometimes they are story related. Otherwise, we're just, you know, pretty much chilling character. Or it can be a way to go like, hey, what's something that is a part of your backstory or part of your character's experience so far that we haven't had time to explore? And we do a bit God, of planning I would, beforehand. God bless. I, if somebody would just ever ask me that question <laughs> or even exactly, just like people put so much effort into making backstories and those small things tend to never really come up because right. obviously the main plot is happening and we're all kind of busy. So yeah, the, there's, yeah. there's some truth and I, and I get that. That's understandable. But I think that giving the, the players space to grow and develop outside of three different cockamamie plans for how mm. we're going to take out a boss and none of them are going to work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. How, how about just some normal time? Yeah. And I think especially because as much as I love horror games, they can all be quite heavy if you right. spend a lot of time there. We're at least 30 episodes in. I think we um, learned last time. And if you spend a lot of time in that headspace, both at, both as players and characters, it becomes quite draining after a while. So I find that having these occasional um, just sort of lighthearted or, like you said, normal days uh, mm -hmm. to the extent that you can in Barovia. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, actually really helpful in keeping the game fresh and enjoyable because um, there's only so much mist a person can take. Right. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> you can't have that constant tension constant mm. pressure yes both as a character and even as a player i mm. think that's where in in video games as well this happens mm. a lot where the tension is if it's always trying to maximize scary it will stop being scary yes There's because you get used to right you just because now you're just playing doom eternal mm. and and it's not scary anymore because yeah. everything is an evil demon mm. out to destroy you um, but if you have time to build up that tension and you do have that, here's a few normal days where mm -hmm. nothing bad happens and everything, there's still a general misery, but that's just the normal misery. Exactly. And that's just then the being an adult part. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to get them their free t-shirts, mm. you know? <laughs> So um, how about your campaign then? So you said you run a GM for a homebrew world. I so do. what is that world about? Um, so it's, um, so the players are still figuring out a lot of things that are happening. So I'm right. So we can't give away too, right. Can't give up too much information. But effectively it was as if every single person in this world just woke up in it one day. They're all from different locations, different universes, different planes even. And they all woke up here with no real understanding of how they got there. And um, started to figure out that it appears everyone was, you know, were plucked from different universes and so were the materials around them. So they've noticed that, for example, the stars, you have some constellations that are familiar and some things that are really out of place. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a mosaic almost. Are are the cities pieces of other cities jammed together, or are they like whole cities taken from places? Uh, I think that's going to depend on the city. They oh. haven't explored that many yet. And fair, fair. One of the things that we also do with that one is collaborative world building because I'm really into that. So yeah. I'll ask the players like, "Hey, what kind of stalls do you think there will be in this market?" or What's something that you'd love to see in the next town? Um, and one of my favorite things to do is if they walk into a shop, I ask them to come up with who the person running it. So they give me an NPC to play on the spot with mixed results sometimes because uh, I'm not fantastic at accents. And <laughs> when the player assigns something, oh, uh, it's a 
suddenly appearing fireball, you know? Hmm. There's about like three NPC voices you can get out of me. And so yeah. they're all just variations of those three. Oh, I know that feeling. And then you forget who has which variation. Mm-hmm. So they all sort of blend together after a while. I I respect the people who are either able to take enough notes on their mm. own, like on their own NPCs. Yes. Or, or just remember that. I don't know. And then to remember like where the tongue is mm. in the mouth or how tight the cheeks are to like what their cadence is like people that can really get into voice acting as, as especially as a GM, as a player, mm. it can, you could show up with one voice and be pretty good. Um, but yeah, if GMs that can, that can voice act like that are, are always pretty impressive. Oh, absolutely. It's a skill I wish I had for sure. It's, it's something I've, I've thought about trying to cultivate. But with any hobby or skill, it's a lot of work. Oh god! And I'm just not dedicated enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's only you know so many hours in a day, Um, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, Um, um, so you've got kind of a little bit of a multiversal world, Um, hmm. and understandable that we we can't go too deep into anything that the the players haven't discovered yet. But some of the other things we can touch on are are kind of what is the level of the campaign, how many players are in it, uh, some details like that. So uh, they've just gone to level six. Uh, okay, the fun level. Yes, exactly. Now's when it actually starts to get fun. Uh, but it was I've GM'd other systems before, but it was my first time with D and D. So I wanted to, despite hating playing level one, that's where we started. And right. I was like, there's a reason for this. It's built into the world. <clears throat> it's not just me wanting to learn how to scale things properly. Um, and, well, we have um, a few regular players and then people who come in as guests at various points. So the core cast, I'd say, is probably about five people. Um, and then we have some that show up every now and then. And that was always meant to be the case with this world. That... It seems yeah. like you'd have everything set up really well to have drop-ins because somebody could play any race or class and still fit in. Exactly. So that seems like a really cool idea to have, uh, to cycle through a lot of additional players that would like to to join up for maybe a session or two and mm. then fall away or, or cycle through. So that seems like it could be really fun. And because the world is new to everyone, like I think they've been in there for six months now. The player right. doesn't need to have a lot of background knowledge because the character wouldn't. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you save on a lot of the... Because it can be quite daunting to be a guest star in a campaign where you're expected to, you know, go back and watch 20 episodes to figure out... Exactly. ...all of those details. And here it's like, no, it's okay if you don't know much. No one does, really. Um, you're <laughs> welcome to the team. <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, because you don't have to rely on... The backstory of the players you don't have to rely on the backstory of the world and and as you said with real collaborative storytelling even those npcs can come in and help create their own entrance where they're they were already established in some small part of town that looks like this and have people like that and a shop like this and they work there and yeah so i think that that's a really interesting way to allow more freedom than just your specific kind of small backstory, but even mm-hmm. allowing you to build a small piece of the world that the players may even come back to once you're gone. And I think that that offers such a level of creative freedom to your players. And I, mm-hmm. I commend you for for taking that route because that sounds like a really inventive and creative way to go about world building. It's so much fun and means less work for me. So you know, it's even better. I have to prep less. <laughs> yeah, that, that is definitely a win-win. Man, the number of maps and cities mm-hmm. and things that that never really get looked at or explored. Or <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a, for sure. That's a, no, I, a um, great way of going about that. The last time they were in a new town, they got kicked out within 24 hours. I'd spent uh, weeks well. building that place. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, look at all of the helpful and interesting things you missed out on. Great. Now on to the next one, I suppose. <laughs> this is not just one sheet rip. This is yeah, a half dozen right, sheets. Uh, put that notebook over there. Maybe, Maybe I'll just take everything and just erase the name <laughs> of the city. 
and change the name of the city. And now I can use all of this again. Oh, yep. <laughs> so now I guess so, I'll just copy paste that. Mm-hmm, yep. Just all of this is the mm-hmm. new city name and where it will be good. <laughs> um, so running two game or being in two games and um, your, your third games, you said kind of wishy-washy kind of open as far as what types of games are those mostly ttrpgs or do you also do other types of board games or open table games uh what does that night look like uh so sundays is when we do uh we have two fortnightly shows there at the moment um we're playing arium later today and we also have just started good strong hands and so we have those and they tend to be shorter campaigns where we then bring in uh, a different system uh, different casts, and it's effectively designed for people who can't commit to, you know, there's 50 weekly episodes. Um, well, and yeah, also gives me a chance to, since I play a lot of games at this stage, just keep things fresh and not feel like I'm always stuck playing one system or you have, you know, your two characters. Um, so yeah, keeping it a bit more varied. Um, and but also means that every now and then we have the space for one shots or a tavern talks and things like that. So Sundays are more short form at the moment. That's really cool, though. I think that there are so many systems and there are so many systems that I've wanted to dig into. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to play. I own at least a dozen books for mm-hmm. Rifts and have never touched them uh, outside yeah. of using them for art <laughs> references for other usually D&D related things because uh, mm. I just really love that there's a that that heavy ink art style in the like late 80s early 90s it just mm. artistically kind of speaks to me and so I, I collected a lot of those for a while nice. but never got to run the system it looks far too complicated to run uh, as a lot of late 80s early 90s mm. systems oh, kind sure. of were <laughs> But Is it like shadow even, run levels of uh yeah, I would okay. say so because it's got it's it tries to do it it is also kind of pan dimensional mm. and so it tries to make everything kind of playable. So you've got giant robots and giant mm. robot pilots up against net runners and Aquaman superhero type things. <laughs> it's it's really awesome. it's a superhero system, mm-hmm. it's a it's got a post-apocalyptic world system it's got a mech system it's got a fantasy and magic and psionics so there's Mm. dozens of books in it and they all quote unquote play together but each one might as well be its own rpg (laughs) so oh no go ahead i was gonna say we've had the chance to try quite a few systems on the channel and it's just amazing how many are out there that receive virtually no attention. And mm-hmm. that would be really easy to learn as well, because I think we're so used to, uh, at least a lot of us are, like used to D&D that we default to that. Yep. And I've seen so many D&D hacks that are really cool, but there's already a system perfectly suited to what you want to do. Right. Um, that is like five bucks at most to pick up. Um of one of the indie sites so i love being able to showcase designers that don't normally get the same spotlight as dnd well and not just from a technical level but mm-hmm. an actual this is how it plays level because i think yeah. there's a, a number of people that try to do you know showcases on maybe youtube or something of mm-hmm. a, a system and its potential but getting to sit down and play uh some of these systems and see how their mechanics work because mm. on paper it's one thing but yeah. actually seeing dice roll out is something totally different so mm. i really liked uh and and of course i know it's also kind of maybe equally as popular but uh uh i did play in a werewolf campaign for a little bit and nice. the d10 tile like cascading dice mm-hmm. systems um, there's a few variations of those too but i think that that was you know successes and failures is a totally optimal and interesting way to play instead of just having a 5% success fail rate for everything. Mm. Well, I'm personally a massive fan of Call of Cthulhu, which naturally means I'd never get to play it. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I love the way that they do gradual successes all the way from a 
critical failure, pretty much like a fumble to, nope, you absolutely beat the odds of reality with this roll the stars just alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love that. And I do steal a bit of that to put it into D&D because, you know, if your character has a plus 12, even if they roll a nat 1, they probably have some semblance of what's going on with that. Right. I, I think that it is skill checks, especially, are something that I think. I think Five E was a lot far more focused on the narrative and refining the combat some, which is great. I love what Five E did, but I think there were some things from Three Five that they got a little bit heavy handed with the pruning shears on, and I feel like skills is kind of one of those things, where think, like you, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say the one thing that I wish. There's plenty of things I wish D&D had more of, but feats in particular is um, such a underutilized resource in 5e. And so what we've ended up doing for The Wandering Menagerie, which is the game that I run, is instead of, you know, every four level you get your ASI or you get a feat. Um, we've done it so that you get one point to put towards your stats and one feat. Said so you, I think, you know, yeah, I think they got odd number out and still get that flavor from a feat. I think that they got really close to that, and it feels like they were almost flirting with that because a lot yeah. of the feats come with an ability score. But I, I also agree that I feel like one ability point, no matter what, and then mm. if the feat does not give you an ASI, then you get one anyway. Because mm. I don't feel like most of the feats that uh that come with an ASI are still good enough mm. uh to to warrant wanting to take them and yeah i feel like basically or in other words you get two ability scores but it doesn't matter what ability scores the feat gives you just pick your two cuz it feels like they were flirting with something like that yeah. but they just didn't go all the way yeah and... it, that is strange in how they are written that only some of them do give you a boost to your stats so that's why i've included that yeah you get one point towards your stats no matter what and then a feat of your choice regardless of whether that has a plus one built into it or not um yeah, so just want to encourage people to add that extra flavor because there's some feats people never go for right Be- like they want to but those numbers are too tempting right. you know you need or that the min maxing yeah yep, that min maxing come becomes too tempting Exactly. Um, plus, you don't really get much else at like four and eight. Mm. That kind of is your power bump. And so I think denying that of players is a little rough because there are there are a lot of really cool feats and there are a lot of really cool abilities that you can get in there and make, you know, a wizard into a warcaster or, mm. you know, a, a rogue into an alchemist. Like yeah. those are those stepping stones that give you the, a way to change your character from the standard fare, where not all rogues are going to be the same rogue. You get mm. these little opportunities to add your own spin on things. And I think those are so required, not just in character creation, which I think it's mm. plentiful, but in ongoing character development is where a lot of games lack the ability to make sweeping changes to your character mm. to, to really differentiate them from somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And when you play a lot of games and a lot of campaigns, it's hard to keep, you know, character building fresh. Um, I'm not personally someone who's very intrigued by, oh, this is a build that I want to try. And I instead get attached to the idea of a character and the mechanics are secondary. So then being able to like get that flavor while also, you know, not having to be useless in combat um, really appeals to me. And it's actually in a non-stream game that I'm in where <laughs> it's just one of the best uses of a feat that I've ever seen. Um, inspiring leader, pretty much, if you give a speech, uh, people get temporary hit points. So that player now does the recap of last session in character every single time. And it is Oh, that's brilliant. glorious. Yep. I mean, it guarantees that you always get, <laughs> always get what you need from it. Oh, yeah, and they're fantastically entertaining as well. Like His recaps are absolutely beautiful. Uh, it helps that the character is a little bit of a himbo, 
Um, <laughs> not all the most accurate. Um, yeah, I think that's just one example of how I love seeing feats used for, I mean, it's 90% flavor, but those extra hit points are pretty lovely too. I think you bring up a really good point about getting, I definitely fall into the camp of I get attached to a character mm. and what that character should be able to do. And it's very, it's been very difficult in the past for me to find a DM that's willing to be flexible after character creation mm. on like, can I, cause I can justify it through my backstory, through my current mm. actions, through the development of the story. And because I also am a GM, I'm not trying to get overpowered or be mm. min maxi, but if if the skill feature from this class were copy and pasted over without me having to cross class or traded, mm. you know, but but without me losing, especially for like third casters and things that really kind of if you multi-class them, they tend to lose a lot of their power. But if I could get just that ability, like get just this battle master form, but keep artificer, then then I could justify moving the character in this direction. And this is why I think it would work and not be overpowered because I, I don't really care. I'm not trying to min max it, but sometimes trying to find a way to do a character build that is both what I want to play and mm like going to be good enough to do anything can be really difficult to to try to shove my character into their rules instead of yeah. I think a lot of people play kind of the other way around and but I think that they I love getting attached to a character and I think that it's such an open game that there's it's almost there there's almost mm. that room to just fully customize a character every single level and let it grow with the story yeah, and I'm another thing that we do is that I allow people to train for feats or skills every so often. Like if you're okay. traveling a really long distance, you know, on the road, there's not that much to do. Yeah, I fully buy that. You know, you're able to train to get the chef feat because you have told me that you're responsible for making dinner every night. Um, and the same thing. Like I don't buy that a character who dedicates a lot of their spare time to working out could not increase their strength points. Right. Like it's to me, that's just completely unrealistic that you can't do things to improve. It's going to take time and effort, but you'll probably get better at it eventually. Um, so I love incorporating like that bit of, Hey, your character's putting active effort towards this. I'm going to make sure you get a reward for that because you've taken the time to not just dedicate the time to it, but to tell me about it. And you know, make this a long-term goal of yours. No, I think that's great. Yeah, I think that I've also tried to do it on kind of the flip side where you mm. don't get an ASI unless you're telling me, like your character didn't just get smarter or yeah. <laughs> more wise or more charming. Mm. Like what have you been doing either during your downtime or how do you feel like you've justified doing this? Like, are you waking mm. up and doing sit-ups every morning or are you doing agility training or are you just talking to yourself in the mirror to like get more comfortable on these things? Like, are you journaling to write down the things that you've learned and remember them? Are you researching? Like you can do things in little five minute chunks, Absolutely. but I want them incorporated, you know, while you're walking somewhere, do you take a moment to inspect a plant that you've never seen before mm. and and check and see if it's you know going to be poisonous or something? Like, what are the little things that your character is doing to develop and cultivate this stat increase that you want, right? Or this skill bump <laughs> that you're you're going for? Yeah. No, I just had um, sort of a mental image of characters in Skyrim running around eating every single plant to figure out what it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, that's exactly how my players would do it. I mean, I always, Skyrim's another one of those games where, God bless, I don't know if it's me mm. or if it's the rest of the world, but Artificers and Alchemists, longtime mm. listeners know, are like the things that I want to play the most. Mm. And in any game system, any game system, I want to play somebody that crafts things and yes. an intelligence hero that isn't just a spellcaster, mm. right? but like literally using their wits to come up with solutions to things. And mm. 
most of these games, alchemy is relegated to making healing potions. Yeah. And artificing is never going to be as good as finding a magic weapon as either part of the story or a drop from a boss or something like you're never going to make something as good as you can find it. But they always hint that these systems are there. Mm. And I would spend so much time in Skyrim finding plants and trying to to mix and match and see if I can find things. But then mm. it's still just like healing potion, anti-venom potion, yeah. really weak poison. Like, and none of these things are fun or interesting to use. And I think even D&D falls into that somewhere. Oh, the D&D Alchemian... crafting system is horrible. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's something... if you take two years off, you can make one potion. Right. It's like, it's just, like... Tell, just tell Strahd to, like, wait over there. We'll be back mm-hmm. shortly. I'm going on vacation. <laughs> I think that fast tinkering or mm. even burning gold to do things, whether it's hiring additional people or having the whole party work on something like there's got to be like i get that crafting could be easily overpowered if Mm -hmm. the party doesn't need the dm to make magic weapons for them anymore Mm. um but there's got to be a happy medium somewhere where players can craft things and either sell them or use them in some manner to to progress the campaign absolutely and like for example it makes no sense that, you know, potions that are one-off consumables should be crafted using the same rules as permanent items. Right. Like, if your crafting system doesn't take into account, like, the payback that people get from using these, then, you know, it's not going to be worth it to take the time to make a potion of vitality or whatever it might be, because you'll have to spend literal years and thousands of gold on it. And in well, fact, and then it, it, like, know, who's going to be buying those too? Um, right. Yeah. yeah and the it's... cleric can wake up and cast this four times a day yeah. at, at level two or three. Mm-hmm. And, but to get the same effect, you're going to need a year's worth of time and rare ingredients. And, exactly. Yeah. And I love coming up with, um, it's something that I want to do more of, but just even if it's tiny things like, oh, you take the time to use different spices when you make that meal that we've been talking about that's going to give you minor boosts or detriments to things just so that you feel like you are in a magical world where this plant that can be used to like literally magically heal people remove curses or whatever if you put that in your food there's going to be consequences Mm -hmm. and i love the idea of like people making tea that is like you know a far weaker version of a potion but it's also far quicker to make. Yeah. I think that in the same way, I I also love when the environment has minor magical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where like it you regained and, and things that the players may not be aware of, but to really lay in that this area is run by magic. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe you recover spell slots at, at on short rests or you know I mean, short rest a, is a someone who long plays rest. a sorcerer that sounds wonderful <laughs> right like like you you take a long rest and wake up two hours later fully refreshed oh, that like the whole lovely. party does yeah. or on on the flip side uh you know you your long rest is completed but everyone only gets one of their hit dice back mm. instead of even half you all just get one uh exhaustion isn't removed because the environment is oppressive like mm. there there are so many ways there's so many little things that you can throw in to flavor an area <laughs> yeah and the no, what? Sorry, just, it's have we just i love how everyone just overlooks that literally going to bed for eight hours is the single most powerful healing item in the <laughs> right like well, you, and I, you, were, you were, you know, close to death yesterday, barely clinging onto life. You're fine. Just take a nap. It will be good. Yeah, I think <laughs> video games have somewhat ruined that because mm. I get there is an argument to be made that hit points are not vitality. Yeah, but str- like in combat, describing somebody barely hitting or the strength that is sapped out of your body when mm. you're blocking something with a shield. And saying that that deals 70 damage to you, mm. you're like, yeah, but I blocked it with my shield. 
Like, yeah, yeah but you're not breaking bones and and just going to bed at night mm-hmm. <laughs> and then waking up with six months of healing. Like, there's an argument for that, but at the same point in time, like that that's not entertaining. Yeah, but also to, you took a to meteor to. shower to the face. Like, you might need two days. <laughs> <laughs> like, see what I mean? Like, the sheer scaling of sleep in D&D is extraordinary. And it's just, <laughs> but I again, love that. Healing Everyone's potion, just accepting it. Yeah, exactly. Just take a nap. It's because we can't <laughs> bottle sleep. They, they, they've not invented Ambien or NyQuil yet. Mm. That's just a healing potion's <laughs> just NyQuil. <laughs> it out most people are chronic insomniacs in the world of D&D. It's true. <laughs> oh. So on, on the topic of uh, spicing and flavoring mm. uh, magic potions or using rare ingredients to make their food... Uh, what is your relationship to food, either in uh, D&D or in the real world? Do you do any cooking or have any favorite meals? Gosh, that was a broad question. Um, <laughs> the broad topic. Think, yeah, I was like, okay, let's uh, let's start with the D&D section. Okay. I, um, like we mentioned, crafting is a big thing for me and as is world building. So I love just throwing in like a bakery or you know, a magical tavern where the food has like small unexpected side effects. So for example, a um, lollipop made from honey, but it gives you a plus five to your performance every time you try to imitate a bee. Just dumb things like that. But I... but those are the things that players will find. Yes. <laughs> some obscure, oh, yeah. like... I need to intimidate a bee to scare this guard away. Mm. And I've got this lollipop <laughs> from a year ago that I'm going to suck on. <laughs> and it's what else did I put in the most recent one? Uh, they haven't found yet, so I'm trying to not share too many of them. Good thing this episode will be aired when they've had a chance to explore the city a bit. Um, again, same thing with a piece of candy, but it's really, really spicy. And if you fail a constitution saving throw... Uh, you're occasionally going to breathe fire just slightly. Enough to singe your eyebrows, but you can't. It's not a breath weapon by any means. <laughs> on, on the flip side, like mm. like minor, like little minor curses are also great things. Like, like anything less than a Pinocchio nose. Yeah. Uh, but something that the player... <laughs> right, especially in lower level where like a remove curse, it isn't worth spending that just so that the the orange line that appears under your nose every time you you know speak a word with a vowel in it then (laughs) you don't really want to it's not worth it to quite get rid of but boy is that troublesome for a while yeah what else did i have in there oh yeah if um it's a place where you can get cocktails and one of them is a margarita but the salt actually stays with you. So the next time you walk through snow or on ice, you move at normal speed as if the path had been salted. Oh, well, that's that's a very that's a great margarita. <laughs> yeah, it's like it has a time limit, but just I love throwing in stuff like that. Um, I, can you teach me to make those so that I can clear the driveway more easily in the winter? <laughs> it's like that person is going to make such a profit if they move right. to the climate. <laughs> They just are a uh, a snowplow. They just they're mm. the drunk, but all the roads are going to be swiggled lines. Like, That's do the that and then polymorph them into a mammoth, and you can clear. You, you know, it will be a very wavering. It'd be a drunken path. Yeah, It'd be a drunk woolly mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not a good idea to have given the druid. Mm. <laughs> um. Yeah, I love using food to add. I was going to say flavor, but that's a bit too on the nose. Um, <laughs> that joke's never been made here before. Right, I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've never heard that one before. Uh, but to add character to there different areas. Yeah. Um, so again, the town that my players are in at the moment is pretentious as hell. In the sort of dark academia type goth subcultures. It's all about that throw in some Lovecraft on the side. And therefore, the two most commonly used ingredients in cooking are activated charcoal and squid ink. Because they're that of pretentious course. to where all food has to be like dyed black or maybe a dark purple is acceptable. Right. 
it's <laughs> so there's an entire subplot going on with one of the druids trying to unionize the squid that are being used <laughs> to make squidding, uh, which was not something I predicted would happen. But <laughs> here we now are. <laughs> is, is does this bring into? I, I may be pulling a, a bit of a deep cut here. Um, but an older tweet, you had mentioned that Brits insisting calling everything sweet pudding is oh, just yeah. as weird as Americans calling every kind of pasta a noodle. Yes, so is it's this... weird. <laughs> it's like, it's just wrong. So the, the, the squidding pasta kind of <laughs> brings... <laughs> Gosh, I've forgotten All shapes that. and sizes, but all pasta. <laughs> yeah, but that's, it's just like, this is literally not a noodle. Stop calling it that. It's got a name. <laughs> Uh, so in it, how about uh, outside of D and D? What's mm. your relationship to food? Um, I was gonna say it's pretty decent, but that probably <laughs> we we're on par. We have good talks. <laughs> yeah, occasionally we hang out. Um, no, but I am someone who I don't particularly enjoy cooking unless it's for a more festive type meal. So if okay. I have people. I'm the person who can spend like three days prepping. Right. But I hate making dinner. Um, I think that's so. fair. I, I There's a lot of people that are like, oh, you're a chef. You must eat great all the time. I'm like, no. when it's just me, <laughs> if it's if there at bare minimum, hmm. if the wife is home, I can force myself to make something because <laughs> I don't want to disappoint them. But if it's just me, the things that I will consider a meal would probably make a lot of people cry. So, <laughs> it's sort of like I'm a post grad, and no post grad eats well if left to their own accord. Right. Um, but also, um, I'm a celiac, so mm, okay. that means that going, you know, out to eat is not the sort of always the same relaxing experience as most people have. Right. To make it even better, I'm a pescatarian for medical reasons too. So my diet is quite limited. Um, it's gotten a lot better um, since, you know, it became a trend for people to go gluten-free. It doesn't have half the health benefits people claim, but, you know, no. to each their own. Um, I mean, I try to cover... The only thing that I really notice from it hmm. is I I get tired. I Like, I want to take a nap. I go into a carb coma. But outside of that, I, I mean, it's great that people are, like you said, like it may have been trendy, but those trends can have real world results from yes. them as more companies make things with better health options available for different dietary mm. needs because we're not all the same exactly. person. Um, yeah. And on one hand, it's been good because there's way more options now than when I was a kid, you know. But on the other hand, you have to really convince people that no, you know, I'm not being a hipster. I'm not being a Karen. This needs to be celiac friendly. Right. Like, and, oh, one of the, was a place at my uni where I'd made sure to order the meal gluten-free, had had it there several times. And these geniuses made gluten-free pasta, but put regular breadcrumbs on top. Because we're like, oh, we just assumed that uh, it was like a dietary choice. And uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, again, like, it's not always the same. You know, you don't tend to go into anaphylaxis, but you get really strange symptoms when you're a celiac. Right. So I've started to lose feeling, like, the ability to feel in my fingertips. And I was sent for an MRI. Right. Just because they were like, this could be something super serious. No, it turns out that the local cafe didn't bother. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that is kind of the unfortunate other side effect of it being seen as more of a fad yeah. is that people will go, oh, this doesn't matter. Or yeah. they're you know, just trying. Yeah. Right. That's not even really a thing. Like mm. almost nobody has that. Like, yeah, but some people do. Yeah. So... Uh. And suddenly I'm one of those people for whom it's an, it's an actual medical thing. I wish it wasn't. Right. Like, I'd love to be able to go out and like order anything off of a menu and go for the thing that looks cool or, you know, um, just try something new. 
So that's what I mean when I say it's a bit complicated at times because there's so many extra steps that have to be uh, taken to ensure that I can fully enjoy food. Um, In addition to, you know, the effort of buying ingredients and making things. Um, Right. (laughs) You know, so. I'm I'm lucky in that we... uh we'd try to do meal planning for like the next week or two, or at least the next, you know, half a dozen meals that we not necessarily in order, but just to make sure that we have the ingredients. And, uh, I used to be kind of the picky shopper where like, I, I want this brand of this and Mm -hmm. I want extra of that. And, you know, but there are, there are places where, you know, there's some give and take after a relationship gets to a certain point, and I, I just don't do most of the shopping anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there's certain things where she's given in, and we'll just buy the brand that I want because I'll, mm. I'll, I'll whine and moan otherwise. Um, and then everything else, I just kind of have let go of. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it means I don't have to do the shopping, yeah. it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, like just shopping being delivered is such a time saver, and I'm very happy that that's a thing these days. Um, yep. But in terms of like, it's it's probably a bit silly, but the one thing that I miss the most, because I found out I, I was a celiac at, uh, I think I was 17 at the time. So it took a long time to find that diagnosis. But the one thing I miss is <laughs> differently shaped pasta. Like, what? So, so what was your favorite pasta shape then? Oh, just like, you know, shells are lovely. Those little Mm -hmm. butterfly-shaped things, even better. Like little bow ties? Uh, Yeah, love those. Miss having those. Uh, I I always wanted the the macaroni, like the macaroni and cheese in the box, but Mm. it was like like the pinwheels. Like like they were really, like really thick, like kind of almost awkwardly chewy noodles. I I was or pasta. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> my my uh, country of origin is showing. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I I was like, or anytime there was like themed pasta, like Spider Man or mm-hmm. uh, like a SpongeBob or a Ninja Turtles or something. I really didn't care about the the brand tie-in yeah. as much as for some reason like those more chewy noodles were mm-hmm. i don't know they're my jam yeah no i just miss having that variety because there's for some reason there are four types of pasta that are sold to celiacs and it's the same no matter which heckin brand that you go for it's penne it's spirals it's if you're lucky macaroni and then just regular spaghetti it's those four Hmm. get on it people yeah I'm like, where's just, our where's our differently please right. <laughs> where's our spider-man <laughs> and jumbo shell gluten-free pasta yes <laughs> <laughs> such an odd thing but it's just been whenever i see it on a menu and i just get so jealous when i walk past like the regular pasta and i'm like look at all that variety <laughs> <laughs> don't know why it's it's my most recent sort of thing to miss Hey, that, there's nothing, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Mm. I think that it is those little things in life that, that you, mm. you we find. And it's the same way with comfort foods. There's a ton oh, of comfort yeah. foods that I'm, you know, I'm 36 now. There's a lot of things that if I eat, I will pay for mm-hmm. at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And they all just happen to be things that are deeply connected to being comforted as a child. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, no, I think my favorite comfort food at the moment is probably a grilled cheese but we found this uh sort of blend of thai spices that we can get at the local market and putting that on a grilled cheese shouldn't work but it is so delicious i could see that i i actually just am now thinking that i've got like some dry rub buffalo like wing seasoning like hot seasoning and I think that that would probably do pretty well on a grilled cheese, actually. Yeah. So I might have to try some things later. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's also a simple way to create variety in your very easy comfort food. It's a different spice this time. Totally mm-hmm. different meal, right? 
making the same thing five times this week. No, not at all. New, new, <laughs> new, new. This one had soup with it. Gosh, <laughs> what else? Oh, my partner has been making this fantastic mushroom sauce lately. Mm. It's a really simple and straightforward one, but it's a type of thing that I don't take the time to make for myself. So that's sort of where I need someone else to do the cooking because my brain is just like, no, too much effort, too many yes. pots and pans, can't, no, don't want to. And it's just so delicious and I'm so ridiculously pleased every time. It's, <laughs> yeah. Now, mushrooms are underestimated. I stand They by really that. are. Like, mm. I, I feel like everybody thinks that there's only, like... Most mushrooms that people eat are all related to the same kind of mushroom, mm. just like portobellos and buttons are in the same family. But yeah. there are so many other types of fungus mm. that are have such a broad variety of flavors. It's, it'd be like saying that you know, like strawberries and apples are both in the mm. same you know category of food. And it's like, no, they're they're totally different. And just because yeah. they're funguses does not mean that they all taste the same. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, just, I don't like raw mushrooms for some reason. Never liked that. But cooked mushrooms are probably some of my favorite foods ever. And they are really versatile. And mm -hmm. like a mushroom burger, like I know we just sort of um, talked about portobello mushrooms just slightly, but that can be such a fantastic treat. Um, and especially because the whole, again, Wonderful combination of pescatarian and celiac. Um, right. You know, I'm not the person to take out for burger night <laughs> normally, but a solid mushroom burger, mm, that is way better than any of the sort of vegetarian patties that I've uh, tried over the years. I uh, I did. Well, and it's funny that this comes up. Um, I've talked to a lot of vegetarians lately. I myself mm -hmm. am not, but I have been experimenting more and more uh, with mostly just trying to eat healthier. Mm -hmm. um, but I also remember when the kind of veggie burger was not not something that people even really thought of before even mm. vegetarianism was something that was very popular. And so a lot of places that tried to do veggie burgers made mockeries of both vegetables and burgers and yeah. tried to pass them off as something <laughs> edible. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And uh, so I, I appreciate that the places are getting better at least. At oh, least and, yeah. and more places can cook a mushroom burger now mm. that would never have before. So I could appreciate that as well. Yeah. And again, like I really love fish, but fish burgers really mm. I'll do a fish taco. to make them work. Yeah, fish tacos yeah, like, are delicious. They can be great. But a burger, yeah. I'm not sure that I can do like ground fish. I, I actually take that back. I, the only time that I did is I made, uh, we used to make like salmon croquettes, like mm -hmm. little patties, and yeah. then bread them and fry them and bake them. Um, but we didn't, we, I, we served it with rice and it was always a meal that didn't come out very well. I did them kind of like crab cakes. Mm. And one day... I decided to make them extra big and serve them as a patty on a bun with like mm. some lemon and some fresh lettuce and things. And all of the sudden, it is now one of our favorite meals. It went from something that we, we didn't like making before, but just changing the size of it <laughs> and, and, and kind of serving it a little bit differently changed it from something that we really only ate when we kind of ran out of everything else in the pantry to something that we actively want to cook now. So I, I guess a salmon patty I can do, but a lot of other fish, probably not. Mm. Yeah, it's just generally not a good burger direction. Um, right. Go in. Yeah, beyond that, uh, I'm a big fan of Thai food. Mm. Uh, got extended family in Thailand, so I got spoiled with, like some of the first oh, Thai food that I tried was fully oh. authentic in Thailand. And oh my god, it is so delicious. It's actually pretty like celiac friendly and pescatarian friendly um, in general. So you don't have to be as worried provided you, again, know roughly what you're eating. Right. So yeah, that's definitely the other major type of cuisine that I tend to dive into. So I think that... Um... 
I, I do want to dive in a little bit more into a few of these topics, but I think some of this uh, might have to be saved for the Patreon side of things. So uh, before we jump over there, is there anything that you uh, did not get to today that you would like to share with the world? Any additional places? Of course, you're pretty active on Twitter, but is there anywhere else that people should be looking for you? And uh, anything else you want to say before we go? Yes, in fact, um, Twitch is where you'll mostly find me. Oh, uh, that's also uh, as well. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> with three with three streams on there. Yes. Um, I look. My Twitter is less business and more just randomly talking about things that annoy me at the moment. So that's not where you'll find me at my most entertaining self. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, you'll see updates when we go live there. So I am polished scripted both on Twitch and Twitter, and most sort of socials really. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And uh, I'll see you on the bonus episode. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. And you'll find me most active on Twitter at A-N-D Dinners. That's and Dinners. If you're interested in supporting the show and want to get access to exclusive bonus mini episodes like one that I just recorded with Polished Cryptid that is available today... Or if you want access to additional Discord content, then just head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. It helps support the show, it keeps things ad-free, and it's really appreciated, but definitely not required in any way or form. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, where I co-host a long-form podcast about why gaming matters. It's both myself and my dear friend, Walker Near talking about video games and talking to video game professionals and other influencers within the industry. I'm really excited to be sharing this entire journey with all of you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.